As business owners, entrepreneurs, family men, it's difficult for us to find the time to put together projects like these. Even though it's something we really want to do, unfortunately, taking care of the things we have to take care of comes first. However, because of viewer support for people like you, we're able to continue doing this. Please consider joining our Patreon and supporting the Burn and Return podcast. listening to Burn and Return, a weekly one-hour podcast covering news from the agricultural and turfgrass industries. When you hear the DJ scratch, that means we're live. Welcome to another episode of Burn and Return. Uh, my name is Matt. Sometimes I go by the Grass Factor, Martin. If you're tuning in for the first time, we we like to get down and dirty on this show, talking about the things we enjoy talking about, which happens to be things related to in and of the green industry. If you're not familiar with the green industry, whether you're a landscaper, a homeowner, lawn care guy, a uh, professional residential lawn care guy, sports turf, golf, it doesn't matter. Pick your poison. We're We're into it. We are into it. And then even taking it a step beyond that, one of the things we like to do is look what's going on on the uh, the entire global geopolitical uh, 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 st- storm that's that's always seems to be a brew, and uh, and watch how that kind of has these trickle trickle down effects as to uh, what we end up experiencing here in the United States, and uh, you know like for instance. Uh, if anybody's an OG fan, you'll talk about how we were calling for pesticide shortages and uh, absolutely insane uh, price increases in fertilizer long before it actually started happening and making its way into the news. And, uh, and, and so it was, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun to be on this side of it and be like, ha, I told you fuckers. And, uh, and we were right because we're always right. Um, that being said, uh, alongside me, we have uh, Ryan, Ryan DeMay and Ray Edo. Like I, you know, I, I think it was on Thursday, I said it takes, it takes two other people on the show to, uh, to, to prop up the size of my ego. So you know what? I'm going to absolutely let it stretch. Let it fly, cowboy, as someone smarter than me once told me. Yeah, I mean, speaking of uh, you know, stretching it and letting it fly, I mean, I think uh, as, we're, as we're trying to search for a new sponsor, I think before the show we talked about, you know, uh, Service Titan, you know, a big uh, app for, you know, directing on routes and things like that, but we're not going to go that Titan? route. We're actually oh, going to go with Cervix Titan. Sorry. Cer- yeah, okay. Cervix Titan. Yeah, Cervix yeah. Titan. Yeah. They didn't want to touch us with a 30-foot cattle prod. It's just not going to happen. So No. And uh, of adequate size to tighten a cervix, without a doubt. Yeah, no doubt. All right. Ray, how are you this evening? I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> this is one of those episodes where Ray, Ray wonders uh, throughout the entirety of the, the episode is why he got involved with us and what, uh, what he can do to help bring us back from uh, the ledge that we're on of, of going into complete insanity. Matt, <laughs> Not that I don't contribute to the insanity or else I, I'm the one that always says we're all going to die. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think I'll say this that is true to, to, to prop up <laughs> to prop up Matt's ego and everybody else's is that uh, I, I do. I think we all have our own little spin on just how fucked up we all are 
uh, in our own ways. And I think that's why it's uh, as weird as it is, as wild as it can be at certain times, it's very complimentary to all three of us. And, uh, you know, it should remain that way. So in doing that, why don't we go over to those headlines? Check those out, Matt. Uh, this is just the news, and <laughs> if anybody Ooh, could have seen this coming a mile away, I mean, you literally have to have your head so far up your ass, you're trying to peer out of your nostrils from the backside of your brain. Uh, <laughs> China is calling on their loans to dozens of countries from Pakistan to Kenya, and boy, People are a little hot about it, I guess. I don't know. Shocked is just absolutely hilarious to me. Why anybody would be shocked over this is just, I mean, from the get-go, oh, you want a new soccer stadium? We got you. Don't worry. We'll come a-knocking. A dozen poor countries are facing economic instability and even collapse under the weight of hundreds of billions of dollars in foreign loans, much of them from the world's biggest and most unforgiving uh, government lender, China. An Associated Press analysis of a dozen countries most indebted to China, including Pakistan, Kenya, Zambia, Laos, and Mongolia, found paying back that debt is consuming an ever greater amount of tax revenue needed to keep schools open, provide electricity, and pay for food. And it's draining foreign currency reserves these countries use to pay interest on those loans, leaving some with just months before that money is gone. Behind the scenes, China's reluctance to forgive debt and its extreme secrecy about how much money it has loaned and on what terms, which has kept other major lenders from stepping in to help. Uh, on top of that is the recent discovery that borrowers have been required to put cash in hidden escrow accounts that push China to the front of the line of creditors to be paid. Countries in AP's analysis have had as much as 50% of their foreign loans from China, and most were devoting more than a third of government revenue to paying off foreign debt. Two of them, Zambia and Sri Lanka, and for those of you who don't remember what's going on in Sri Lanka, we'll give you a heads up on that here in just a second, have already gone into default, unable to make even interest payments on loans financing the construction of ports, mines, and power plants. So if you did not pay attention to... Uh, 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 what happened in Sri Lanka, uh, Sri Lanka made an effort of going all organic. So they're like, you know what? We we go all in on regenerative agriculture. We're going to go all organic. We're banning conventional fertilizers. And uh, and you know what? It absolutely destroyed their country. Uh, and, uh, and part of their deal of doing that was that uh, China was going to supply them with this low-cost organic fertilizer. And it shows up and it has uh, Irwinia. Irwinia. Uh, yeah, uh, tainting uh, that has taken place. And so not only was it economically destructive because they no longer had the yield to be able to feed their people, then on the backside of it, the organic fertilizer they did get was so tainted with a, with a, a, a bacteria that they couldn't even use it to begin with because they'd probably end up killing people. So it was a double whammy uh, right to the testicles. And uh, in Sri Lanka, and unfortunately, uh, beyond Sri Lanka, its citizens are the ones who are having to pay for it and pay for it in the kind of ways that you don't like to see, you know, where they have to go storm the presidential palace and burn the fucker to the ground kind of kind of deal with it. Right. Good times uh, in Pakistan. Millions of textile workers have been laid off because the country has too much foreign debt and can't afford to keep the electricity on and machines running. 
In Kenya, the government has held back paychecks to thousands of civil service workers to save cash to pay foreign loans. The president's chief economic advisor tweeted last month, salaries or default? Take your pick. Since Sri Lanka defaulted a year ago, half a million industrial jobs have vanished. Inflation has pierced 50% and more than half the population in many parts of the country has fallen into poverty. Good statistics. Experts predict that unless China begins to soften its stance on loans to poor countries, there could be a wave of more defaults and political upheavals, and it goes on to talk more about it. Ha! Guys, uh, is, I mean, are we... I mean, Everybody this is, knew this, this was coming, right? This is uh, uh, loan sharking on the high seas, isn't it? I mean, like, the hey, whole premise... Uh, Go ahead, You Ray. know, uh... This is going to be a case where my face with that caption, I told you so, is applicable. <laughs> because let me explain to you all what happens when you default on a loan to China. They send the fucking triad after you. <laughs> and for those of you oops, who don't under understand who the triad is, the triad makes the mafia look like a charitable organization. The triad is, they don't play. <laughs> All right? They well, don't that, play. <laughs> you know, the boys over there at the computing center might uh, just let you know that, well, you know, your power grid's going to be down for uh, the foreseeable future. Or, uh, mm -hmm. you know, you wanted to have clean water this week? To drink from your faucet? Eh, I don't know if we can do yeah. that. We'll, 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 we'll take care of that for you remotely. You know, so, uh, <laughs> you know, the thing with all this stuff is this is just the tip of the spear. Like, this is just mm -hmm. just getting started, right? And mm -hmm. for all the stuff that they've gotten themselves mixed up into, uh, yeah, there's probably not a country in the world that needs inflation to go the other way. I mean, you can sit and talk about all the you know, perils that we have here, the first world problems, everything like that. But there's a big old shitstorm brewing over there uh, from an economic standpoint. And I don't know, boys, it'll be interesting to watch and see how they try and shake these countries down. But uh, speaking, speaking of, speaking of shitstorms over there uh, and shaking countries down, how about let's send in the government to shake you down. Uh, this is this is out of India. And uh, I want to I want to you got to start with this quote because it's just too good. We will work to remove fertilizer jihad. Mm, man, if that just doesn't make you feel good. Uh, pointing out the adverse effects on health of excessive use of fertilizers, Assam Chief Minister Himanta Biswasarma on Friday stressed the use of natural and organic farming. Uh, CM Sarma was speaking at the inauguration of the Natural Farming Conclave uh, in, in India. Uh, addressing the event, Sarma said, Last year, I and Honorable Prime Minister Modi had various meetings where the PM suggested increasing organic farming in Assam. Recently, we have seen in the documentary that there is so much potential in our land that if we try to use it efficiently, then we will not need any urea, phosphate, nitrogen, etc. Uh, <laughs> we'll go down a little bit. When we started governing Assam, we mentioned that due to the use of bad fertilizers, there is an increase of heart diseases, kidney diseases, etc. And during the campaign, we have mentioned earlier that we will work to remove the fertilizer jihad. So basically, what they think has happened, and I love this, the synopsis up here at the top says, 
When we started governing us on, we mentioned that due to the use of bad fertilizers, there's an increase of heart diseases and kidney diseases, etc. Uh, so as if Sri Lanka was of a different millennia, uh, it seems like this area of India, Assam, whatever, whatever this is, I, I, don't, I don't know if it's a province or whatever, uh, they, they would like to fuck around and find out and just to double and triple check, quadruple check over how many fucking dozens of times this has happened to make sure it's going to turn out different when they do it. Right. Right. This yeah. time is going to be different. Communism will work this time. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, what do the, they uh... fucking expect? Is this, is this not mind numbing? We just watched Sri Lanka fucking catch on fire. Is this going to be another CNN headline? That's going to be like a, a fiery, but most mostly peaceful protest. And then driver's going to crawl up my asshole and be like, Fucking Minnesota didn't burn down. Minneapolis didn't burn down. Well, I fucking know, but I see on the TV that there's a giant fucking structure fire because people are pissed off. You can't tell me that fire didn't happen. Anyway, okay, point being, Matt. we've seen this shit happen before. Why mm -hmm. is this? Why? Why? Why even attempt it? Okay, Matt. Although this minister is going to be partially, slightly correct about something, in that, you know what the best treatment for diabetes and the kidney disease and heart disease that accompanies diabetes is uh, you know starving people yep starve <laughs> people to death that way they don't die from diabetes heart disease and kidney and kidney failure no instead they just drop dead from malnutrition i mean this is wonderful, big government thinking at its finest. I mean, this is just wonderful, big government thinking right here. And I'm, I'm trying to figure out how are we going to feed people without agricultural production? Because you see subsistence agriculture with minimal inputs it can work but then last time i checked there are too many darn people in india for that to actually work because you see in subsistence agriculture inputs need to equal or exceed outputs in other words remember my discussion about how if you are harvesting crops from the land and expecting a certain yield, you always need to be putting back the nutrients that you are taking away and putting on store shelves for people to eat. You, your, your inputs have to equal or exceed outputs. It cannot be in a negative balance because I think I was having a talk with somebody about that, even in turf grass, where you know what turf grass is uh, management is like or agronomy in general is like to me you know what it reminds me of it reminds me of my sophomore year accounting class okay where oh. your assets cannot exceed your liabilities and i thought you were going to say there was some hot chick with a great ass in the third row of every lawn you do
I don't know. <laughs> no. <laughs> if only the I could be so lucky. cervix thruster. Oh, tightener. Sorry. I, I got The cervix tightener. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to I got to you know, mute this again. Sorry. Fuck's yeah, cluster. but the, but then Yeah, this all goes back to how if you have land in production, if you're harvesting crops, you know what nitrogen, phosphorus and potassium is? That is the building block for all of the carbohydrates, vitamins, and minerals that are being extracted from that land and going towards their yield. And even protein, okay? The building block of protein starts with nitrogen. So when somebody tells me that they are going to forego fertilizer. I'm starting to think to myself, okay, how is this going to work when you expect your land to yield so much per hectare every year? Because I understand that wow. it can work now. However, the understanding that I have is that your yields go down and then also your yields dwindle and you know what i al always hear from these uh, magically thinking organic people they're always bashing for you know conventional farming on oh the crops that are produced are devoid of nutrients well i'm trying to think if you farmland and you harvest and you don't put back everything that you take out and then some what happens to those crops over time yeah uh the silently judging <laughs> face <laughs> what happens i mean because you know mathematically logically those crops will become very nutritionally depleted because your inputs have to equal your outputs or think of it like your checking account right people what happens when you spend 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 and you're not depositing your paychecks what happens to your bank account Eventually, what? it goes down. <laughs> Eventually, the bank what? is gonna is gonna be calling your ass and saying, "Hey, you've just overdrawn." Or if you're so unlucky that your banker is China, <laughs> they send the damn head choppers to to your place to collect. <laughs> you didn't need these fingers anymore for anything, did you? All right, good. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> My only thing here is just the fact that, uh, you know, I, I, I'm sure that there's some uh, unruly and unsavory practices that take place over there with respect to crop production and all that. Um, and, you know, I wonder about this change, right? Not, especially given what Sri Lanka just went through, everything like that. And I got to think it's more than just somebody trying to, you know, uh, move a different direction because things are so bad that they're not trying to incrementally move that, that it's just like, 
again, snap the fingers and off we go. I, I, I struggle here, gentlemen, with who is putting the ideas in the politician's head that they think that they need to do this and go this hard this fast. Certainly, it's nothing good. I mean, it, it, I don't know. I would love to mo learn more about that particular piece and the motivations behind Time's this. Up, why? Yeah. yeah, just why, why this? Why now? Why this fast? What, that, that's the... Well, yeah, the, what, what, is, what is the the prompter? Because, you know... Again, with a grower or producer, growers and producers are normally under a lot of pressure to also keep their inputs at a level that are not going to exceed what they're going to get paid for their crop. So I have a hard time imagining that people are out there putting out fertilizer as if the fertilizer is free because you know as we all know or as we keep on talking about on this show fertilizer is so expensive i don't care what country you're in it is not cheap and it is not free and i know quite well that even in a centrally controlled economy like india government doesn't subsidize or make fertilizer necessarily cheap in india either i mean it's it's expensive there well <laughs> this will be a fun to keep an eye on and uh and you know mm. hopefully hopefully mm -hmm. uh rectified yeah. solutions uh, options can be put forth before yeah. people actually have to su suffer um DeSantis is uh, an oh. interesting character, uh, the one who's for small government who uses government to go after private business as if a free market can't take care of itself, which is just mind-boggling fucking hypocritical. Um, but you know, it's the state of U.S. politics. We also have a president that said no more drilling on public lands and then. Damn it, boys, we're firing it back up. And you know what? We're going to go to Venezuela to do it, too, because, uh, you know, it looks better over there than it does here fucking clown world we live in um and here in this particular instance this is something that actually does affect us in a way and uh and what uh it seems to be happening is, is right now they're trying to figure out what the hell they're going to do with uh the fertilizer bans that occur during the rainy season um it's back on the table you have some groups that are lobbying saying look even university of florida is saying that we are not convinced that these are actually helping uh anything um because a lot of this could be actually runoff that's coming from agriculture and not from home lawns therefore i uh, it doesn't really make sense uh for us to see this and then on the on the flip side of that is that also uf gets to uh, conduct the research on the back side of this and be like well uh here's what the research said in under a temporary uh a lapse of the band and uh, and this is what we learned is that it either did have a significant effect or it did not have a significant effect. And then, of course, you have the environmentalists on the other ends that are like, no, if you let it lapse for even a little while, even for the purpose of studying, we're all going to die. Right. And um, and, it, you know, of course, we have a true green that has a lobbyer in here. And and really, the, the, their whole stance on the lobby is like, let's let's do whatever University of Florida wants to do, since they're the ones who kind of pioneered the, the research on this to begin with. And if they're like, we think it's not that effective and we would like to study it further, then why not give them uh, a little bit of uh, the, the, the rain, the rope to be able to do so?
And uh, then from that point, as we make uh, more uh, uh, regulations and, and rules in this, that we actually have the data that we can smack you in the face with rather than just saying that, well, it makes a whole lot of sense that if we ban it, therefore it's not going to make its way into the waterway. That sounds probable, right? But that's not always the complexity. Uh, it doesn't take into account the complexity of the situation altogether, right? So um, anyway, it, 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 mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, it doesn't because, uh, you know, as we've seen on YouTube, what happens when you restrict fertilizer applications on landscape lawns to a defined period? What happens to applications when you are out of that restricted period? What actually happens in real life? You got some jackasses that then think, because I cannot fertilize for half of the year, I better throw it down in the six months that I can. And so that is actually counterproductive to me because do you know when they're out of their fertilizer ban, Matt? Do you know when the fertilizer ban September? is actually not in favor? From October until March or April. So you're applying, okay. applying gra you know, fertilizer to grass that's either, you know, Maybe actively it's, growing if you're in South Florida, or no, not it, actively. It's growing mostly at all. dormant. It's mostly dormant. Yeah. I mean, from from November till March. I mean, I've asked Dan, and he tells me that during that time the grass ain't doing shit. So it's absolutely retarded to ban fertilizer and then <laughs> allow it only when the grass is dormant. I mean, please make it make <laughs> sense, okay? Please make it make sense. I mean, Ray, yeah, because... Ray is actually going to move to Florida just so he can run for office in the Florida state. Oh, I would I, vote I, for him in an instant. Oh God. Who's the guy <laughs> who's in favor of so much death? Let me vote for him. Whoa. Senator, Senator, you know, well, you have a, you have a well, vote. In the I, I, right I would, now, I would sir. fit in, I would fit in fine right there. Wouldn't I? I mean, yeah. However, uh, <laughs> or not, you know, I, I think, I think this is a big giant scare tactic, to be honest, as if, as everything in, uh, uh, politics is right now, it's just one side trying to scare the other side into the holy fucking oblivion of outer space. And, uh, and, you know, I think there's a bit more common sense involved here than is, uh, uh than, than the headlines are, are showing. So anyway, I want to see it studied. I want to see real actionable data come out of this and uh, and something that we can all take into consideration, whether it's good data or bad data, in the sense that it's either prolonged care or it makes us all look like fucking environmental uh, uh, crazy people, like like awful, awful, just horrific uh, 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 drains on, on the environment. However it shakes out, I want that data because that allows us to do bigger, better, smarter things while we're out there in the field. So. Uh, anyway, we need that information. That being said, gentlemen, let's go ahead and check out this week's favorite segment among the, the viewers of uh, Joe Nice Turf. <laughs> Joe Nice Turf. Hi, I'm Joe. I'm gonna give you a bunch of accurate turf facts today. Because, because. Joe knows turf. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, Joe does know turf. I don't know what he knows about turf this year. I haven't talked to him much, I, a little bit here and there, and I hope he's doing well. And um, I think if you watched our show last Thursday, the, uh, Thursday, Thursday, uh, we, we, we went into some mean tweets and some things like that, some mean comments that people wrote to us and didn't like us, and we're here for all of it. So please, if you have more, send them our way. Um, mm -hmm. The other part of this, my, too. My Dutch can support a monumental amount of weight. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's, a, it's a solid base there. It's a very solid base. It is. Um, Yellow toe strap type of shit. I think so far, just to, just for those of you on your bingo cards, we've had cervix, we've had taint, and we've had duts. So uh, getting close out there if you are if you're using that free space, for sure. All right, so um, what I said, too, in that, in that uh, show last week was that, you know, I, I think we can characterize our Joe Knows Turf segments and, and things like that between uh, one of two different options. One is uh people that are charlatans that are out there just to sell people on whatever they're selling and they give less than zero fucks about what they do or how they say to make that happen and then there's other videos that just highlight an opportunity for us to teach a little bit about uh best practices or maybe it is somebody that's doing things right we want to highlight that or maybe it's something that somebody you know it's just a situation uh, like we're going to have here tonight that we can highlight uh, a couple of things that i think are important and tie back into our uh, past article there. So, Jay Pink, let's go ahead and roll this clip from our good friend Travis over at Budget Lawns, and let's talk about some BMPs for fertilizer applications here. Man, it is really amazing what just a little food can do to your lawn. Just a little bit of fertilizer. I mean, I know how I feel when I get a good hearty meal in my belly. I just feel like a million bucks, and so does your lawn when you get some fertilizer down. And I got my first one down for the season. My spring app is in the books and I just nailed it. Everything went perfectly. When I lay down a round of fertilizer, I really have two main objectives. I wanna mow first, which I did that. Got a good mow in. And I wanna make sure there's some rain in the forecast because I hate dragging out hoses and sprinklers just to water in my fertilizer. So I always time it around pretty decent rain chances. Well, in just one week, after accomplishing both of those to a T, we're gonna look at what results are when you lay down a round of just a simple, inexpensive, generic, synthetic, all-purpose fertilizer like Expert Gardener Triple 10 from Walmart. Last week's video, we talked about fertilizing your lawn a little bit. And we really talked about grub control or signs that you might have grubs in your lawn. I'll leave a link to that video down below. And the lawn, honestly, in last week's episode just looked pretty dismal, but man, things have changed in one week. Now, last week it looked pretty bad because yeah, it had been short on rainfall, had been short for the most part on warm temperatures but since then we have had some heat humidity and some warmth and you combine those all together with a little bit of fertilizer and bam things just explode hey one little tip you got to get you a cheap rain gauge folks if you don't have something to measure rainfall whether it's a weather station in your yard with an app on your phone which you can get one of those, but all it takes is something about two or three dollars mounted outside. I like to put mine right outside a window out on a fence post because I don't even have to leave the house 
to go check it, just peek through the window and bam, I know exactly what I've got. Then I'll go out and empty it. Sometime when I wanna get another gauge on what the rainfall is gonna be for the next round. But I put down that fertilizer last week after a nice mow. Immediately, I mean, within 24 hours, I shouldn't say immediately, but within 24 hours got almost a half an inch of rain and more rain throughout the week. We've had inches of rain this week. It's been a pretty good week of rainfall. And the lawn just responded to Pause right there. That. Okay. So this, there, there's a couple things to highlight. And one of these things here um, is important. I think this is a condition that uh, a lot of our homeowners that we, we uh, are talking to right now, and especially a lot of our pros that get out on a lot of properties, particularly on newer subdivisions where there's a lot more uh, stormwater control practices that take place catch basins, things like that, and then especially on commercial properties where that's been the case, okay? So, gentlemen, here's what I want to talk about today is uh, Travis said a lot of the right things in terms of, you know, how he's approaching his burned fertilizer, all that's good. The thing I want to talk about, though, specifically, right, is about timing applications around rainfall and the quality and quantity of said rainfall relative to the safety of your application, right? So, J-Pink, go ahead and throw up that graphic real quick. The four R's of uh, nutrient stewardship. Uh, we've talked about this before on this show. And we've talked about it before on uh, Thursday, Thursday. It's a great time to have this discussion, and especially with the preceding article that we just talked about. A lot of this uh, fear, right, that what Matt was talking about was uh, predated by information that was poor, right? There were poor practices where people would say, yeah, put it out right before rain. You get a big, hard, pounding rain, and boy, howdy, you got fertilizer moving all over the place. You got fertilizer on impervious surfaces like sidewalks, driveways, roadsides, curbs, Jimmy Lewis. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, sorry, that was predimine. It's whatever. You know, no no weeds in the cracks. <laughs> same, though, the same difference. No, no, no <laughs> weeds in those cracks still to this day, three years later, boy, howdy. So anyway, uh, the thing that this video wa- that made me, um, you know, want to call to attention, you know, and, and Travis kind of highlights it. Yeah, there's a lot of rain, right? He mentions the fact that, you know, he put down a 10, 10, 10. So the first thing here, right, is the right source, okay? So I don't know Travis's soil type. I don't know, you know, what kind of conditions he's got, if he needs to apply P, if he doesn't. Regardless, let's just take it out of his context and put it in somebody else's context, all right? So, Ray, if we're making a nitrogen application, right, and we get some runoff that's going, th- you know, down through storm sewer, something like that. Nitrate's kind of a big deal, right? But we're not really using nitrate-based fertilizer in, mo- in most cases. But now when we have a fertilizer that's got phosphorus in it, mm, that raises yeah. the stakes in terms of off-target mm-hmm. uh, scenarios, right? So real quick, and I do mean real quick, Ray, can you give mm-hmm. it to us what happens with phosphorus fertilizers when they interact and go into a waterway, like a stream, a creek, or wherever a storm sewer might dump into. Okay, real quick. Phosphorus in water runoff can cause what's called an algal bloom, where because you have so much phosphorus in that water, algae and single-cell life forms can just explode. And that, for example, folks, is the reason why up until I believe the 1980s, a common detergent additive that worked extremely well was this chemical called trisodium phosphate. That used to be in dishwashing detergent, laundry detergent. It worked extremely well. However, when that 
phosphorus hit the waterways, it basically turned the lakes and the streams greener than my shirt, if you can imagine. <laughs> Not and a good that's, thing. And that's, that's the problem, right? Is that we get mm -hmm. a situation that's what, what's known as eutrophication, right? So there's algal blooms right. and things like that that we cannot control. There's nothing we can spray for it. Even though we'd like to up there, uh, what, what is it, Lake Saratoga? What's what's that place up there in New York that what's on our shit list? Anyway, oh yeah, yeah situation. Yeah, yeah. That, that's the, that's the Eurasian milfoil. That's a that's a cervix thing, not a fertilizer thing. Um, <laughs> thing. Anyway, all right. So um, you know, here, okay. So right, right right source, right. So then we talk about right rate. Travis doesn't talk about his rate. I don't know what it is, but let's just say for the sake of argument here, in terms of anybody that's going out on a commercial site, Matt normal lawn care situation let's just say you're a pro applicator you're going out this time of the year he's on warm season what kind of rates do you think he'd be at like on end let's just say half pound how oh, many pound? I, one yeah, pound easy easy okay all, all all the above De depending on the company that's going out i would say three quarters of a pound to a pound of end going out right now everywhere as quickly as you can get it out okay so then again in in this case right there's equal parts right it's a one 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 so there's equal parts end to end to p Right, so we'd have a lot of pee going out. Now let's just say you're more of a lawn care type, you know, product that you got. Maybe you got like a 24, 5, 11. Maybe you have zero phosphorus, right? So just things to think about. Again, when you add that phosphorus element, you've got to be real careful, okay? Right time. Okay, so this could be a, a, anywhere from a seasonal thing down to a month thing, down to a week, all the way down to the day, right? And in a lawn care situation where you're a DIYer, you have a little bit more flexibility in terms of when things go out. When you're a lawn care company, it's production, baby. You get to where you get to the stop where you get to the stop. And if it's going to rain today, tomorrow, three days from now, 10 days from now, Matt, the amount of fucks that you give are relatively zero. And that's one of the unfortunate parts about production lawn care is that it's not always necessarily what's best from a timing perspective, but it's what you got to do to get everybody taken care of. Now, as a DIYer, some of the things you should recognize and, and think about is, yeah, you got a schedule, you got a life. The kid's got a baseball game on Tuesday. Tuesday night's the best time to apply it, but gosh, I can't do it. Well, maybe you wait, you know? Uh, and what I want to say here, too, about rainfall is that, uh, you know, the amount of rain is important, right? We'd like to get, let's just say, about a half an inch or so of rain on a fertilizer application to get it washed in sufficiently. However, the thing that people don't think about often enough, and this goes all the way back to that right time, timing this up with the rainfall if you don't want to pull sprinklers out and that is the precipitation rate right so just as we measure how many inches of rain we got right i got three quarters of an inch i got 0.85 i got this that or the other thing we also measure precipitation rate like how fast in the peak of a thunderstorm or a gentle drizzle was it raining per hour right and in that peak time anything that we go over about 1.5 to two inches per hour right if we have that rainfall rate and we have that for a duration that's usually greater than about four to five minutes, we know we know that fertilizer is going to move off target to some degree, right? So we gotta be really, really careful about that. And then this final one, right place, okay? So the, the do's and don'ts here are, we gotta keep it in the grass. We wanna keep it off a couple of different things. Go back to that video, Jay Pink. Let's look at this. And there's one thing that I wanna talk about. This is a great, this is a great shot of everything that could go wrong. And thank you, Travis, for putting this out here. I'm not beating you up either it's a good video I oh no it, yeah and I, i've I want, I want to add to this go ahead go ahead because there's something yeah, yeah. important about this yeah th this just highlights everything it's a great teaching tool i think to to go and so okay so the the things we don't want to have fertilizer on or in right 
impervious surfaces. So when I look at this, I see impervious where we've got this rock wall that's up here, right? So fertilizer spreads and sits up on the top of the wall, right? We could rain, we could wash it down. It could go somewhere else that we don't want it to go. If it's all in the yard here, no big deal. Because what's, what's wall, behind the wall? What's behind the retaining wall? Drain. There's going to be a foot of gravel, correct? And, and there's going to be a drain at the bottom of it, right? That's going to daylight somewhere, right? So right. Um, I'll be into I catch base didn't right even here. think about that until this. Yep. I've seen yeah, all the bad I mean, things happen. So, so yep. the other and, things here, too, they get, you got the patio here. Get the mm -hmm. patio here. And then the last part is this catch basin. So this catch basin is the lowest point in the yard. All that water is going to funnel. So if you do get that hard pounding rain, right? And I'm telling you this not because I'm trying to be the fertilizer police. I'm telling you this because, again, as we, we talk about a lot in this particular segment, uh, Joe knows turf. Bo didn't know turf. And the only reason that we know it is because of all the shit that we fucked up. So I can tell you stories about making a fertilizer application. Saying, oh, golly, it's going to rain today. It's going to be perfect. It's going to be real good. And then guess what? You get a two-inch fucking gully washer. And now all the drain basins on your fairways or your roughs on the golf course, right, are growing like a son of a bitch. And all the high spots are brown because they don't have enough fertilizer, right? So <laughs> I'm not saying that this would happen here, but the right place. Last is the impervious surface. you got the pavers right here. This could be a driveway. This could be a sidewalk, a curb, just as I talked about before. But you got to make sure that that fertilizer gets blown, swept, however you want to do it, right? Sucked up if you're really into that kind of thing. Uh, and, uh, you know, go ahead and get that stuff cleaned off. So the four R's. Learn it, live it, know it. Matt, go ahead and dive in, and I'll shut the fuck up. The one thing I was just going to say is that know where, when you have a catch basin like this, know where it's, uh, it's it, your, your drains are daylit, right? Uh, because a lot of times, like where I am in Knoxville, very, very hilly area, and I think he's in a hilly area as well, too. A lot of times where that is daylit are going to be pop-ups in the front yard, right? So uh, best case scenario, you apply, it gets heavy rainfall, it, it it runs through your pipe and then it uh, it runs through a, a pop-up in the front yard and you've just effectively moved your application from the back to the front, right? Not the worst thing that could have happened. Sometimes, though, it will run to a drainage swale and from the drainage swale, it's running to a retention pond. Not yep. exactly what you want to have happen. Or it'll be daylit all the way at the road. How many people have you seen end up doing a tie-in from a four-inch corrugated pipe into a three-inch or two-inch uh, <laughs> yep. PVC that is uh, then concreted into their road, and then everything from that drain ends up going right out to their street and from their street to the drain at the, at the end of the neighborhood, right? So if you can, while you're out there doing this, it's something you can ask your homeowner is, uh, you know, hey, do you happen to know where these drain pipes daylit or where they where they where they pop up and emit um it's just one more thing that you can factor into your management strategy okay only the other thing i'll oh one, one more thing here ray i don't want to forget this is mm -hmm. people are going to ask well what should i do right uh mm -hmm. you know it could be something oh, as yeah, simple as point. a piece of cardboard it could be a piece of plywood something like that you take with you and especially if you know your sites and what you got to do a lot of times you're going to see these on commercial sites they're just going to be a standard two by two two foot by two foot catch basin concrete with an iron grate, easy to have something in the truck for that, right? And as you're surveying properties and you see this, right, as you're pricing stuff out, if you make the first app and you're like, oh boy, I didn't see that, go ahead and do this. Um, one thing that, you know, we ended up having to do is uh, we would use cardboard in a lot of cases with round drain grates. And uh, there's, uh, hell, DeWalt makes one. I know Milwaukee makes one, just a little freaking like shop back that's battery powered. Go on and suck all that stuff up. 
no harm, no foul, and you're not going to get yourself in trouble. The last thing I want to say here, too, this is another thing that you might see, is backyard. It looks like there's some silt fence back there. I'm, uh, I'm assuming that silt fence back behind it. So there's cons- some Yeah, it looks like construction going on back there. So if there wasn't any vegetation or anything like that on this backside, or even if there was a little bit, I'd be cautious about throwing outside of that because this could be, you know, just open ground, right? Not established with anything, not stabilized with grass or vegetation. And therefore, you might have stuff moving down some type of soil here, too. So, again, just try to think about all those avenues, all those things. This is the kind of stuff, though, and I'll, I'll let Ray jump in here, but this is the kind of stuff that people are getting in trouble for, right? And this is the kind of stuff that they walk back and say, well, did you do this? Did you do that? Did you do this? They are not kind when mistakes are made like this. And when there's point source and they can trace it back, they're going to go after you for everything that they got. So just some things to be mindful of, especially even if you're a homeowner, even if you're not a business owner, they're still going to come after you. Ray, go ahead. You know, seeing this picture or this uh, screenshot of the video just gives me such high anxiety because in my locality, Take a bomb do, you know where the, do you know where this pop-up uh, or this uh, catch basin terminates to? It normally uh, terminates probably. right yeah, next to the right. storm drain, and then that storm drain goes right straight into the ocean. So yeah, you know, you know when I get asked, uh, Ray, it is not raining right now. Why aren't you here? You know what? You know what I tell them? <laughs> Fuck the hell off because it is about to have one of those four inch per hour rainstorms. And whatever I apply is going to go straight to the ocean. And you know what? Enough of that happens. Next time, nobody's going to be able to apply anything anywhere in this entire state. And I don't well, want to find go. out if that's going to be true. I don't want to fight be the guy that FAFOs on that. <laughs> so, so, gentlemen, I, <laughs> I think what we can say is our takeaways from uh, this, this week's segment of Jonah's Turf is uh utilize know understand and live out the four r's of nutrient stewardship and mm-hmm. if not then well fuck the hell off let's go ahead and check out those burns <laughs> sheila's got a nice catch basin I, i've heard that <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of catch basins, skip the fertilizer <laughs> mowing. Some Dayton areas homeowners are turning to quilt lawns. Uh, quilt lawns. Uh, coined by the University of Dayton professor Ryan Mac- uh, McEwen. How do you say that? McEwen? McEwen? McEwen. 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 As a nod to his grandmother who hailed from eastern Kentucky and sewed quilts in the Appalachian tradition of using scraps for different materials to create a colorful tapestry. (sighs) Quilts are colorful and each one is unique. The creator also has the opportunity to express themselves in terms of pattern and color. This guy, an an ecologist, said Dayton residents can do more for the environment just by taking a few steps with their yards, mowing less frequently, and parting ways with their use of insecticides and herbicides that only allow turf grass to survive. According to NASA, 63,000 square feet of yard space exists uh, in the United States. It's got to be a tight square feet of yard space. Uh, that's roughly the size of Texas. Maintaining this expanse of lawn space is costly. Uh, he estimated that mowing infrequently every three weeks or longer is ideal for property residents comfortable with that. And skipping out in the spring can save property residents uh, hundreds of dollars each year as well as save them time. Not only is the application of pesticides harmful to bees, blah, 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 <laughs> blah, blah, blah. 
We've heard it once. We've heard it a hundred thousand fucking times up to this point that, man, it's like, can you come up with anything fucking original? Uh, I, you know, this idea, what is it? What is it? I don't even know what the fuck he's talking about with a quilt lawn. It's like just letting it look like dog shit and then calling it a quilt. It's my unique <laughs> form of dog shit that I've put together. Therefore, it's mine. Mm-hmm. I own it. It's a quilt. Listen, you, buddy, Mr. McElwain here, you're not original. Uh, you're repeating the same thing that every fucking Google article from San Francisco gay at all, GeoCities, uh, hot Geo-Cities. whatever. Old, yeah, Angel Fire. Old sh- Angel Fire used to see out there. I mean, it's all the same shit. Um, look, man, I, I just... Again, uh, we 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 talk about this time and time again. Go back, listen to our other episodes. But I'm just I'm not well, impressed with the laziness that's that's coming forward here and structuring it behind the idea that oh, it's a quilt. Go fuck yourself. I think the thing that you know, I, this is the the reason I that I added this article tonight was to ask you, gentlemen, real quick here. Where, you know, the ideas and everything like that, it's not just the internet, right? So, you know, these are educated people. They go to school. They go to college. They He's an ecologist. Well, but but what is this information based on? And I'd like to see, you know, where they're basing some of this in terms of, okay, hey, like, you look at, you know, studies around, like, say, uh, pollinators and neonicotinoids, something like that, right? And that might influence your position to a certain extent about the way that that methodology and that that uh, experiment was designed. But does that really translate and go directly into turf and the way that turf is managed today, right, by responsible people? And I just think there's a huge, obviously there's a huge gap. How do you fill that gap, gentlemen? Is there any way, is it is it possible or are we just going to sit here and continue to complain about this? And... I'm going to ask you, hey, hey, what what if we had like a guy like this come on? You think he'd come on and talk to us? Get his opinion? Would you be willing no. to talk to him? Yes, 100%. Yeah. No, he will not. There there would be someone out there and it's going to be one of the one of the um uh ex- extreme uh renewable ag people would or one of the extreme organic people and I I think they would come on and talk to us and it would go nowhere. Um, and especially if we came at it from the standpoint that, uh, you know, we, we, any, any claims we make, we have to cite our sources kind of thing. It'll, it'll just go oh. nowhere and it'll be a disaster, but I'm a hundred percent open for it. I love a disaster. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I want a disaster too, because, you know, you cannot argue with mathematics and accounting. You cannot argue with that. And well, I do Here's, believe that the intersectionality of, of, of two plus two could be five, and that uh, in, never mind. I'm, never mind. <laughs> Go ahead, Ray. Yeah. Go ahead. Right. Well, <laughs> no, get banned, for right? These, do you, do you, no, for these, no, for these, for these, uh, proper fraction. <laughs> yeah, and you know, for these in you know unmaintained areas, I can see them being a possibility. However. Here's my question. What does that mean for public health? What does that mean for even the safety of our thoroughfares and roadsides even? What does that mean for that? Because let me tell you, I can tell you right now that 
the benefits of letting it all go uncontrolled or minimally cared for do not outweigh the negatives. They don't outweigh the mm. negatives in under real world conditions because you know what, guys? I live the no spray, no fertilize way of maintaining grass areas. I live that. And you know what? It is an absolute shit show. Okay? It's a total shit show. And you know what else happens with these non-treated areas? They start to consume so many fossil fuels to keep them constantly cut down and the garbage hauled away. You know that? The gasoline ferry doesn't magically fuel the mowers. And oh, and even if you put all these mowers on batteries, you're still consuming energy. You're still consuming a resource. You see, mathematics, accounting, you cannot argue with the cold, hard numbers. The energy has to come from somewhere. Otherwise, uh, Sir Isaac Newton and uh, Einstein were all bullshitting us all along. <laughs> <laughs> I just asked because I, I feel like at some point, you know, again, the, uh, the this is my thought on the whole thing. It's just that sitting back in the echo chamber, at some point, like, you got to take the fight to them. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think it's through science, hopefully. I think with, like, mm -hmm. what they're trying to do there in Florida and what we're trying to do here in Ohio and trying to get, you know, actual independent research related to, you know, for example, water quality. And, um you know pest pressures and different ways that we're dealing with things and the fact that this isn't you know j the, the biodiversity that exists in a lawn right may not be what it is in a uh, unmanaged forest but again that's what we talked about uh what was it brian brian turf mechanics comment you know that prairie grasses and this and that and the other thing and the whole point though is that what we do is unnatural right and uh, to raise mm -hmm. point i don't know that people really want to have what ends up being a natural lawn um and everything that goes with it so we'll see what happens but i wanted to put that in there all right let's see what other uh what, what other contraptions do we have here yeah let's catch base uh, <laughs> study proves drastic effects of eu plans to reduce pesticides hang on to oh, let's see we use taint gooch we'll add gooch in there hang on to your gooch <laughs> with, with two hands because boys yeah. ah this sounds awesome uh, the EU Commission's proposed regulation on the uh, sustainable use of plant protection products would make classic arable farming, fruit growing, vegetable growing, and uh, uh, viticulture in protected areas impossible and would be accompanied by massive yield losses and reduction in farm incomes. This is concern, uh, <laughs> confirmed by an expert report commissioned by the German Farmers Association and prepared by the Soest University of Applied Scientists. It gets better. The report determines the effects of the draft SUR on operating results of arable forage and vegetable farms, as well as the consequences for the range of crops in affected areas. As a result, income reductions of about 50 fucking percent are expected Whoa. on sites with high yield potential. On weaker sites, arable farming would no longer be economically viable in the medium term. In particular, the cultivation of potatoes and rapeseed, as well as vegetable production, would have to be discontinued in many cases as a result. The already low level of self-sufficiency in vegetables 
would therefore decline further. Depending on the amount of land available and the intensity of crop protection, forage farms would also have to reckon with reduced yields and thus a shortage of basic fodder, which the farms would not be able to fully compensate for internally. Uh, and it goes on to give more here, but it's uh, that is everything you need to know. And there's a, a long version of the report available for uh, for download. Uh, the economic consequences of abandoning chemical pesticides. And uh, again, you know, someone accuses of being uh, mega mega farm agriculture dick suckers or whatever, and that's fine. Uh, I'll 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 wear that title if if that's what it means to be able to look at this practically at the data that's being presented to us here. When we're talking about uh, uh, income reductions of 50%, in a lot of cases, arable land is just that, that we have managed to be able to eke some yield out of is no longer fucking viable. And then what ends okay. up happening? And then you start losing forage. And then what the fuck starts happening? It's as easy to see how this goes. And you know what? If that means that we're sucking off fucking big ag or whatever, then so be it. But the reality <laughs> is, is that we don't want to see people fucking die. And by all means... Dying of fire and dying of fucking starvation and drowning have to be the three most excruciating ways to go. And starvation may be the worst of them because it's a fucking long, drawn-out period of just never-ending pain until you fucking die that you have to cope with. Yeah, it, sounds it, it is awesome. Like, no, it sounds great. And and you know what, Matt? Please make this make sense to me because, okay, the health authorities are pushing people to eat fruits and vegetables three meals a day, okay? How are you going to do that when fruits and vegetables, because they're no longer able to be produced in an economically viable manner, then become prohibitively expensive, yet at the same time, they're telling you stop consuming meat, milk, and eggs, Please help me make sense of this. I mean, what the hell am I supposed to eat? No, really, what the hell am I supposed to eat? Because no meat, no milk, no eggs, and then also uh, that leaf of lettuce is now going to cost $100 because no more pesticides. Please help me make sense of all of this. <laughs> Well, so nope. uh, there's there's an article that didn't make the cut for this week, and uh, the title of it was Pesticides and Fertilizers Driving Down Bird Species Study Finds. And the quick answer to that is that, yes, that's not good. I'd like to understand more about why that is, but also pesticides and fertilizers are also driving up, uh, you know, the actual human race in Mm -hmm. you know supporting it okay i mean so, are, are we gonna are we gonna go back to what i keep on bringing up about how if we are going to reach for this pesticide and fertilizer free utopia we're all gonna have to die <laughs> i mean it is, is. That what it is and we're, we're all gonna have to die i mean that that's the truth and yet what's gonna be really sickening to me is if we the common people all drop dead and the pencil dicks that propose that we pencil dicks mark that go without fertilizer and pesticide free they all still get to eat i mean because to me what i always say is that 
anybody that proposes something like this, you know what I always say, Matt and Ryan? Okay, you guys show me. You do this first, okay? You go on these meat, milk, and egg-free diets. You show me first. You also show me, okay, how to run a productive and pro profitable agricultural operation without fertilizers and pesticides. Show me it can be done. And I'm not talking about the hippie extremist granola eater on a half acre of land that is only producing enough to feed herself. I'm talking about <laughs> make this work on a modern scale. Because otherwise, what has to happen is we have to deindustrialize, we have to tear apart our society as we know it, and everybody has to produce what they're going to consume, and there's going to be nothing extra. We're going to go back to the Stone Age. Seriously. I think we've established a few things here tonight so far. Ray is hangry. And uh, the the uh, the legislatures that or legislators that try that uh, meat dairy free thing, uh, I hope that they're okay with having a purple stool. You know, it's, it's gonna be a weird color. Just kidding. You. <laughs> <laughs> or green <Yeah>. stool. <laughs> one of our one of our favorites from uh, over the weekend. I think this guy uh, sent in a whole lot. Uh, Thirty tons of ammonium nitrate just disappeared. Uh, interestingly, sixty thousand pounds, or uh, you know, a big ass rail car, car. Uh, has has gone missing on a shipment from Wyoming to California, and they still have not been able to find it. Uh, it was Jesus. sealed, and as it is oftentimes on shipments like this, uh, they will uh, they will put a seal on it to ensure that no one has accessed it from uh, the time it leaves uh, its origin till it arrives at its destination. You have to cut the seal off in order to unload it, right? Uh, well, the problem is, is that, yeah, it showed up. It was still sealed and there wasn't jack shit in it. They're like, huh, where did it go? Uh, it turns out right now they're thinking that there may have been a small leak in the bottom of the rail car. And, uh, and just slowly over the course of the uh, hundreds and hundreds of miles that it, uh, it traveled, uh, it slowly just dropped 30 tons of uh, ammonium nitrate along the way. Now, in the grand scheme of things, 30 tons of ammonium nitrate over that large of a journey is absolutely fucking nothing. I mean, it is, it's so nothing, it's literally nothing. So uh, that's the good news. No, the railroad track is not going to explode. No, there's not a 30-ton pile of ammonium nitrate waiting for someone to find and treat it with fuel oil and detonate it. Um, chances are we're talking about a handful of granules every, every five feet from, uh, California to Wyoming. And, uh, and it's, it's gone. It's, uh, it's gone. It got rained on. It's, it's in the ground. It's done. Bye-bye. Mm -hmm. And I, I yeah. had a question about, uh, somebody asked me a question. Oh, so if they fertilize the railroad track, does that mean that that railroad track is going to grow a bumper crop of weeds? And you know what my answer I, to that no. is? Chances are no, because you know, Matt, where I got the idea for that tank mix that I call Chernobyl from? Uh, what they spray rail, rail, railroad. uh, railroad, yeah, rail tracks, yeah, exactly. Yeah, 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, the 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 uh, the incredible mix that they put down on railroad tracks to keep shit from growing for an entire year is uh, very effective, as a matter of fact. And so the uh, <laughs> little bit of uh, handfuls of ammonium nitrate that are there, no one's going to understand. Uh, let's check out this week's returns. La, 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 la. I am back. Uh, we are ditching the hell strip. There needs to be a bigger, a bigger. I who raise your hand if you hate the rail hell strip. The hell strip. Oh, that's uh, why I put this in. That's why I put this in returns. I heard what Ray was saying, and I got a little worried because I think he's gonna have a strong take against this. But I say get rid of grass and hell strips. I'll die on that hill, or in that hell. Uh, yeah, Ryan. You know what? Mm -hmm. What if I told you that if I were God. There would be no maintained turf grass next to roads, including the hell strip. I'm strongly against having maintained turf grass in the hell strip. And do you know why I'm against it? I mean, I could think of a whole host of reasons, but give me yours and I'll tell you mine later. Okay. My reasons are runoff risk. Absolutely. It's a buffer area. And the issues associated with having to irrigate such a tiny little narrow and long space. I mean, I see the irrigation runoff and the water waste. So you you can count me in as saying, I don't like that two-foot strip of El Toro Zoisha running along miles and miles of neighborhoods here in Hawaii. I mean, get rid of that shit. Don't have it. I mean, I, I'm opposed. <laughs> I, I just want to make sure I'm not missing something here. You know, mm-hmm. obviously the plant species that get selected, all that kind of stuff, how it's managed and maintained as far as like, you know, weed regrowth, if you got mulch out there, if there's some better, you mm-hmm. know, type of substrate there to put down. But I think this is an area from a water quality standpoint. You know, you see a lot of rain gardens like here, uh, here where I live, uh, old city right so uh combined sewers right so storm when storm overflows it goes into sanitary and the sanitary dumps into waterways right so they've te- spent the last i don't know 10 years and uh each of my three times annual water rate increases to decouple that situation and part of what they're doing is they're putting rain gardens in where they can't necessarily put storm sewers all the way through right a neighborhood just because it's a rat's nest underground so they're just taking it to certain spots you put a rain garden in you filter it out matt used to build bio swales and all sorts of shit you know is there anything mm-hmm. that you learned from that matt that would serve us well in the uh, hell strip space uh no not particularly in that that would serve well <laughs> in a hell strip space uh but but i i love the idea of a landscape buffer between roads um yeah, anything yeah, to, you, to separate roads pause. and grass and uh, and or even even like this. I like that they're doing the little garden thing out there. It makes it very communal, in my opinion, and uh, I think it's cute. Okay, uh, you, you know, know because... what else is cute? Oh, wait, real quick, Ray. What else is cute? He's cute. Uh, <laughs> it, well, no. It's, uh, you, I, I'm just going to say this, is if you uh, get me a pair of those uh, Chuck Chair print overalls, I'll wear those at Dirty Deeds 23. And <laughs> yeah. There it is. Someone get on that. Um, I'm the other one. (laughs) 
Rodney Smith Jr. is a Huntsville hero on a mission to give back, and that cannot oh. be shouted loud enough from the fucking back. Uh, you may, uh, you you should have heard of Rodney Smith Jr. Uh, he gained national rec- uh, recognition for his work with children and businesses called Raising Men and Women Lawn Care Services. Uh, basically, he starts a 50-yard challenge, and he asks kids to mow 50 yards for free in their communities. Uh, and anyway, this a little article here, you know, gives more insight as to you know what he what he did, how he did it, uh, and his uh, his love of uh, Huntsville, Alabama, because you know, I mean, that's 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 his uh, his stomping grounds. And we have uh, quite a few listeners from the Huntsville, Alabama area, and uh, yes. and kudos to those guys. Speaking of listeners, real quick on our returns, got to got to give a big shout out. Happy birthday. 50th birthday, I believe, to our, to our good friend Lushy. It's his birthday today. So if you see yeah. him, happy birthday, Lushy. Hear from him. Make You're sure, old as uh, dog shit. You are. So, hey, everybody, <laughs> hey. Uh, speak, everybody uh, send him a, uh, a gooch pick in the chat here later on as a, as a, as a gift. Okay. Nutscaping. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, well that's, that's a little bit lower angle than nutscaping. Uh, yeah, it's good enough. Uh, applying pesticides by drones could get easier. Uh, AB 1016 would authorize the Department of Pesticide Regulation to establish training programs for unmanned aerial systems. The bill sponsored by California Farm Bureau has gained broad bipartisan support from two communities. Uh, effectively, what they would like to do is uh, is put investment dollars in teaching people how to be able to um, uh, uh, uh Operate these things. Get trained alongside fixed wing pilots to get a license, and uh, and then get out there and do the damn thing. Uh, these are twenty thousand dollar drones as of right now, and uh, and you know you can't just go buy this and pick it up and expect to operate it. You need a sky daddy like uh, Tilly Coleman out there to uh, to teach you the ins and outs and uh, things to to worry about, not to or to worry about when you're when you're operating these things because well it does fucking fly right and. Uh, and you know, get you a helicopter, a helicopter pilot, or a, uh, a, a an airplane pilot out there to uh, show you exactly what you're doing while you're while you're with us, and uh, and and hopefully have someone by your side while you get hours under the way. So I think that's pretty cool for the time being. We'll see how it ends up shaking out. Uh, unfortunately, yeah. I had this I get this weird feeling that you know government people are going to end up making a shit ton of money, and then everybody else is going to be like, yeah, I didn't really learn a motherfucking thing. But, you know, <laughs> I'm pessimistic. Well, I got my permit. Well, yeah, uh, you, yeah. I, I'm gonna be really pessimistic too, because okay, right now, aerial application by drone is tied up by siloed bureaucracies. Right now, you know that it's all tied up in that they claim like nope. I don't regulate this. No, I don't regulate this. But if nobody fucking regulates it, then it should be something where you do it at your own risk because, hey, nobody's claiming ownership of regulation. But here's my take on drone applications. With the kind of terrain that I sometimes have to deal with, a drone would be a lot better than what I currently do with those kind of air sites. Mm-hmm. Because 
Would you not agree that a drone would be safer to deal with than me hiking up and down 30-degree grades with a 90-pound backpack? Yeah, and I think that's the whole point of uh, of the article and the approach they're taking is that they're trying to reduce, you know, a lot of risk out of the system mm-hmm. in the way that it's done right now. And mm-hmm. the, the, the cash-in part right now is that there's, there's we're, the government is not set up to handle this right so you know for mm-hmm. instance you have to be trained right now in california you have to be trained by a fixed wing pilot to fly <laughs> a, a drone to spray crops which is dumb so they're trying to get that mm-hmm. changed the other thing gentlemen is that uh, there's not uh, it, 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 right now there's not a lot of uh materials that are labeled especially for turf that are labeled for drone applications for aerial applications so uh there's a lot of things that need to happen we'll see how it goes but it's good to see that somebody is trying to have some common fucking sense and break down some barriers good to see okay you. because uh ryan i know for a fact that in asia india pakistan and the middle east a number of those product applications to crops are now being done by drones mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. and to me that is a step in the right direction versus a lot of the horrific pictures that I see coming from those countries where somebody with minimal PPE is walking through the crops, spraying it with some kind of a backpack sprayer. I don't like to actually see that kind of stuff because do you know why I don't like to see it? I mean, human expo- no human exposure. <laughs> whereas if you're flying a drone and you're standing upwind of the field, what is your actual exposure at that point? Nil, right? Nil. And it, so, because I'm trying to picture somebody with what's, what I know of as a solo 450 walking through an orchard or a vineyard spraying. They're no better than those guys in india or asia right except <laughs> easy easy you're you're in california and in california you're going to be in a, a liquid proof and gas proof suit and it's also 100 something degrees outside I agree. None of that's good. And also what's not good is, you know, when Ray does finally run for elected office, the uh, special interest groups and dark money uh, funded folks clipping out that uh, that little clip there about the Asians and the whatever else he said, (laughs) they're going to eat that shit up. They're going to take that so out of context. Ray, good luck with your political career after that. You've you've got mail. (laughs) We do have mail. Uh, Thanks, AOL Steve. Uh, we've got Quack Killers here coming in saying, "I've got, I need, I need some help on with Quack Grass. Uh, I keep spraying it with glyphosate. I'm getting to burn down, and uh, and it's coming back. It's not, it's not systemic enough to take it out. It certainly seems to have helped some. Uh, what advice would you would you have? Hmm. <laughs> you know, if you keep renovating, why not just spray it with Monument and be fucking done with it?" And then, uh, you know, it's going to have a real long reseed interval. But once it's up, then uh, then do your renovation. I, I, I got a third way, Matt. What's that? You know, when, you know when somebody actually has, like, a quack grass infestation in their cool season turf? 
Yeah. This is a use case for glyphosate, fluazifop, and mesotrione, and triclopyr. This is a use case yeah. for that combination because that combination is far more systemic in that quackgrass versus just glyphosate alone. I mean, this is time to do the termination mix. <laughs> and I'll, I'll let... I'll let uh, I'll let Nick you you do the the calculus on the uh, uh, economy of getting that done, but uh, yeah, a, a glyphosate isn't going to get it alone, no. and, uh, and yeah. it's going to take something nuclear, like Ray mentioned, or something you know that's designed that's uh, labeled to actually provide a complete and thorough kill of it, like uh, one of the sulfonylureas that will also smoke your other remaining cool season grass for a long, long period of time, and not mm -hmm. allow you to reseed it as well too. Mm -hmm. uh, then because we have cool season weed killing. Do what? What were you going to say? Okay. The thing about going like kill mix is that you are able to reseed 30 days after your last application. Whereas, you know, when you said monument, Matt, I'm thinking, uh, man's not going to be able to reseed his lawn for a year. I mean, that's how yeah. long trifluxy sulfuron lasts. That's yeah. serious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, it's no joke. Um, <laughs> then we have the next one here, cool season weed killing. Uh, I need help knocking out fescue and other grassy weeds in my rye and Kentucky bluegrass. <laughs> uh, feeling a little bit lost. My grass seems to have a fungus going on. High pH grass doesn't seem like it has any backbone. Uh, this is out of Wisconsin attached a uh, soil test as well, too. Soil pH oh, is 7.4, which isn't just awful, but we do have an OM rating of 5.3, which is, uh, oh. I would say that's going to be high, uh, without mm -hmm. a doubt. And, uh, and then we've got a picture of some lesions on the grass here and, uh, taking a look at these lesions. What do you, what do you, what are you guys thinking here? I don't know. Uh, and I keep that's having to remind myself, this is Kentucky bluegrass. So, uh, up in that area when he took these pictures i'm gonna guess it's probably just leaf spot they've not been that warm yeah and that's, yeah, so, yeah. So. yeah yeah just a wisconsin little, just a rainy gray skies i think you're 100 percent dead nuts on the old helminthosporium leaf spot is uh yeah, what it a little bit a little bit of leaf well spot too. however here's the confounding factor with the leaf spot mm. when your soil has a ph of 7.6 i don't expect yeah micronutrients to be very available so actually what i'd be pushing this guy to do is short term do something like azoxystrobin to address the leaf spot as a spray please not as a granule and then long term i would say his nutrient program should shift towards getting more sulfur and acidifying materials into the lawn to drop his pH. He can also consider supplementing with chelated micronutrients as well. But this is a case of because his lawn looks meh, it's going to take more than one application of one product to excuse me, get and all I, uh, back on the back me, on the up and up. <laughs> let me say this. He sent a picture of his yard. There's nothing about this yard that looks meh to me. I mean, it looks. Mm. I think it, it looks, looks pretty good. fucking I, I, on point. Yeah, well, and I, and I, I think it's that last five percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's yeah. the th here's the thing, though, is that 
I know for these Matt for these cool season guys, unless their lawn is almost blue and glowing in the dark, they're not happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that that's the expectation. Whereas for me, you know, if they saw a lawn like what's in my background, they'd be saying, "Put some more nitrogen on it." And however, I would be saying for me. When the lawn is this green already, no more nitrogen for the rest of the year. Because it doesn't need it. I mean, that's the difference. <laughs> uh, the last one here is uh, not from Justin Dawson, but uh, from another Justin. And he had a question for you, Ryan. And he said, with concerns of player safety in professional and collegiate sports when it comes to artificial turf, we're seeing a switch back to natural grass. What about OSU? <laughs> Will the Ohio State ever go back to natural gas without severe mm. <laughs> uh, renovation? I hear people saying it's impossible due to the water tip. Would love to get your opinion. Hmm. Oh, wow. Uh, I mean, I, I will say that uh, you know, they, they, they had uh, turf for a long period of time uh, from probably the early 70s through about 1990. 1990, they switched back to natural grass. Had that for... 16 years and then they switched to turf the 2007 season so it's been yeah 16 years now and uh you know the they could absolutely grow it i think the the um challenges that they have with the water table are kind of moot at this point um and i think potentially i don't this is one thing i don't know they're actually rebuilding the road that kind of goes right in front of and around the stadium right now that's a pretty massive project. So the, the, the for those of you that don't know, the, the stadium sits uh, maybe 500 feet from one of the main rivers that uh, goes right down through Columbus and, and, and heads south. So the water table and the soil is ex exceedingly high. When they did a major renovation uh, 25 or so years ago, they lowered the bowl, lowered the field, lowered the seating bowl to add more seats. So you got high water table, you're getting closer to it. It causes some problems. So um they have a pumping system that's been in there for a long time it was actually a, a novel product at the time that was developed by a, a, a graduate from the program a guy named joe moats um who has a really really successful sports field construction business now and then they actually did the field here most recently a couple of years ago it was a place so all that being said uh you got water issues yeah that could be tamed um you know and now with artificial lighting and things like that, you know, as far as um, what they're able to do, I think it could be done. It would be a matter of, you know, does the, does the university and does the athletic department specifically want to take on, you know, the risk of doing that. They do a lot of concerts and stuff like that um, in the summertime to try and make money. And uh, they, they, they host, other, you know, a, a bunch of other stuff too. Could it be done? Yeah. Will it be done? Probably not. I think for at least another probably eight, nine years, I think, is is the horizon that you're looking at before there'd be another chance to look at something like that again. But I do know for a fact that the player safety aspect of it is of concern um, to the football program specifically. Uh, they practice on natural grass every day of the week, um, pretty much, unless uh, you know situations warrant otherwise. So they prefer to be on that, and you know, the games are what they are. But... Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of weird being having uh, two degrees from there and turf grass science, and you know we can't even play fucking football on it. So. <laughs> well, there it is. Uh, we are going to head out and hang out with our patrons. Patreon.com/slash/burnerreturn. 
Uh, if you listen on any of the podcast apps, leave us a review. We don't care what you say. Just make sure it's five stars. You can call us all dick breath, whatever you want. We're fine with it. Just uh, just make sure it's five stars. Uh, uh, to uh, to continue to push our ego to number one in whatever, I don't know, uh, a blank space. Uh, otherwise, we'll see y'all on Thursday. This Thursday, we have Evie, our, uh, our favorite Canadian-accented uh, <laughs> dude, uh, is going to come on and, uh, and teach us all new lessons in, I don't know, severe ass whippings and uh, how, to, how to sound like a Canadian prairie boy. All right, we'll catch you on the flip side. Bye!